Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Panda takes out the GP. It was important to try and keep the momentum going. Courtney gets the Blue Oval's first win of the year. Kept the pressure on Garth and we started to make a few little mistakes and I was just close enough to capitalise on it. And Skate launches the car of the future. What we've really got to do is ensure that we've got another 16 or 17 years of great motor racing in this country. We look at all that and more today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. The Car of the Future was launched on Monday at the Crown Casino by Tony Cochran and Mark Scaife. The announcement touted as the biggest change in the series 14 years and 17 years of the two-make formula. I think in a challenging world, the only thing you're guaranteed of is change. And uh, certainly uh, we at V8 Supercars Australia are not afraid of change. Uh, We embrace it. We love it and we've certainly run with it very effectively over the previous uh, 13 seasons. I think what's really important here is you need to understand this whole plan has the endorsement of our board and the full endorsement of every team in our championship. Mark Scaife headed up the 18 months of research, saying that the modular form of the chassis will allow greater flexibility in what the brand of the car could potentially be. Evolution, not revolution. We must enhance the DNA. The authenticity of the car is vital to us moving forward. I mean, the fans will be the real winner because we'll make the cars more relevant. Um, The quality of the racing will be better. Um, The teams will be able to function for less money, it'll be cheaper, uh, be able to build more cars and effectively the, at the end of the day if the quality of the racing and teams are sustained, you can keep your team in business for the next 15 years, then if you follow Holden Racing Team or Triple Eight or FPR, then you know that you're, uh, you know, you're, on, you're on the right horse, you're actually following you know, a team that can be in business for a long time. The engine changes are still to be finalised by the Technical Committee of V8 Supercars. But Ford and Holden can choose to have other engines homologated if they desire. The two engines that are currently our base engines will remain. They'll be V8 supercar Ford and Holden variants. Um, The third engine can be evolved as a V8 supercar engine. But if Holden or Ford want to come to us with a more modern variant that would reduce their cost and be more in line with their latest engines, we, we were absolutely, the door is open. Tony Cochran explained the reason why the cost-cutting was so vital to V8 supercars is the change that's about to happen in the season schedule with races every fortnight. Clearly that's not possible uh, without having spare cars. 
and uh, clearly on the current costing, spare cars for many teams would be an absolute stretch. Back to racing and three non-championship races were held last weekend at the Australian Formula One Grand Prix. Friday saw James Courtney take out the prize, giving Ford their first win of the year and the Jim Beam Racing team plenty of encouragement. Our car was really good and I just kept the pressure on Garth and he started to make uh, a few little mistakes and um, I was just close enough to capitalise on it. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a good race and happy for the boys, first win for the year. Garth Tander stepped up in race two getting past the Friday winner, Courtney, off the start and was never headed from there, even withstanding a late charge from series champ, Jamie Winkup. Yeah, it was a hard race with the rain coming down every lap. You never knew how deep to break because of whether it was raining more or not. So hard, hard to run at the front like that because you're sort of a bit the pioneer finding the grip level. But, um, yeah, good to get that one back. That's the one we should have got yesterday as well. So happy with that. Tanda finished off the weekend on Sunday with a second win of the weekend, but not before series leader Jamie Winkup had taken the lead of the race. But an engine drama saw him out that allowed Tanda to charge on at the front of the field. Yeah, look, fantastic for us. Uh, continues our form from Adelaide, and um, it was important to try and keep the momentum going. So, um, yeah, really happy with that. It's a bit of a shame in race three that Jamie and then James dropped out. It probably deprived the fans a bit of a ding-dong battle, but you only got to beat the ones that finished the race, and uh, that's what we did. Friday winner James Courtney also had mechanical dramas, which allowed for Shane Van Gisbergen to take out second place in the race with his consistency, giving him second place across the weekend. Craig Lowndes finished the podium third overall despite not having a top three finish all weekend. For Tander, it was the perfect lead into Hamilton, New Zealand in two weeks' time. Yeah, we are. We, um, you know, we had a good year there in 2008 and we hope to replicate that form when we go there and uh, continue our, uh, our run of success so far. Team BOC's Jason Richards, Form Performance Racing Stephen Richards, Bundaberg Red Racing's Fabian Coulthard and Andrew Thompson, along with HRT's Garth Tander and James Moffat, have all called for Australians to show calm on the roads over this Easter long weekend. Well, Will Davison from HR Team has become an Ducati ambassador, choosing to ride a 1198S superbike. Davison picked up the new ride from Ducati City this week, marking an official commencement of his relationship with the company. Jason Bright has launched his new website, www.jasonbright.com.au, and is keen to keep his supporters abreast of all his movements, with social networking sites being updated regularly. While we're talking about websites, don't forget to check out www.v8insiders.com.au and also sportradio.com.au. We'll be rolling out some interesting interviews over the next few months, going as far back as 1997. Of course, if you want to know what's going on in the world of V8 supercars, then don't forget to check out Big Pond Sports' official V8 supercar website, www.v8supercars.com.au. That's all the news for now on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Tony Whitlock and Grant Rowley will be along to look at the GP, car of the future and more. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. 
showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jason Richards. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Race Facts, it's Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Tony. And good evening to you, Craig and Grant. It's also from Speed Cafe, Grant Rowley joining us in what was a very entertaining weekend's racing. G'day, how are you going? Thanks for having me. Now guys, the AGP, we heard about $20,000 for drivers and teams who might have been sandbagging, but I haven't heard of any fines yet, so everyone was racing on merit, Tony. Yeah, I think so, and there was some definitely some major uh, testing going on with a lot of different setups and not only in suspension, but in brakes and uh, engine setups being tried. And, you know, to a degree, some of them succeeded and some didn't. Well, certainly, Grant, uh, everyone was thinking that the Dick Johnson racing engine that they plugged into James Courtney car was a winner, certainly for the uh, first race, at least. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, James got that, got that win and um, perhaps fortunate in some ways. Garth Tander had a, uh, a small gearbox problem. Uh, which uh, which cost him cost him the win win there, and uh, James took the lead with uh, with three laps to go. But look, definitely entertaining racing from the V8s. As, uh, as as you were saying, like no chance of anyone getting fined uh, twenty thousand dollars there. I think there was more than twenty thousand dollars worth of damage done in that last race. Interestingly enough, Garth Tander wins the next two. Do we really think that? For this race to grow for V8 Supercars, that uh, it's got to become part of the championship. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, if it is to get bigger, I mean, if they keep it as these little short sprint races without pit stops and things like that, then yeah, no, they'll just be exhibition races virtually, and that some will want to try hard and some won't. I think it uh, was another of those meetings over important, for instance, for um, say Van Gisbergen, another comfort level move to. And, you know, I think for those reasons that races like this are important, that they can go and do things and achieve things that, you know, in a championship round they don't want to do. But I guess, Grant, as you mentioned before, you can't afford to tear up a lot of money at this event in the way of uh, crashing your car and, and having a lot of damage. Oh, not really. Not, not, not really. And I don't think anyone really went out there with the intention of, of, uh, of, of tearing up any machinery. But look, as soon as those drivers put on put on their helmets they're there to race and I think we saw that certainly in the last race in the midfield we saw some some good dices some close dices actually close dices the whole weekend it was it was entertaining look I'd love to see it as a championship round in its um, <clears throat> sort of Mickey Mouse three race sprint format it's not really going to fit into the current scheme but um, you know there was some uh, some pretty significant chat going on about uh, the, the V8's getting its own pit lane uh, on the main straight there before the uh, the F1 uh, facility, similar to the old Champ Car IndyCar V8 pit lane that they had that they that they had in uh, on the Gold Coast there. So um, you know if they can get that up and going, uh, possibly even for next year, then um, uh, look, it's all going to come down to uh, television broadcast rights. But um, you know. We, uh, you know, one day if if the planets align, then we, we we could see it happen. 
Well, we talked about uh, Shane Van Gisbergen there before and uh, just a remarkable change. And it just goes to show how drivers can mature. And we've really watched this guy mature in uh, one season. He's in his, what, third season now? And he is just this year. It's all starting to click for him and everything's working together. An important thing is, of course, that... um It'll be uh, Shane who'll reset the record for the fastest to 50 rounds and probably 100 rounds, uh, taking that record away from first Todd and then Rick. Um, and uh, there's a reason he was there quicker than most others at his young age. Uh, you know, there's talk around, and I read it uh, just somewhere yesterday, of Shane uh, contract at the end of this year and him going off uh, other places. I don't think he will. I think that he is well co- well cognizant, aware of... of uh, um, what he owes the Stones because they gave him the early trial. Um, just one, one thing going back for a second on the um, pit lane uh, at uh, the Grand Prix, um, it's quite likely if it does happen that that building, pit building will be the Homebush uh, building from Pit Straight. Really? Which would be a rather sweet irony, you know, <laughs> the idea that um, Christine Keneally uh, has of uh, the Grand Prix being in Sydney, which is highly unlikely to happen. I actually had a brief chat with Cochran yesterday about it. He put forward the view to put an F1 race around Homebush would be over $300 million. Well, to put the F1 race over Homebush, you'd have to knock down every piece of infrastructure there and build a track. That's exactly what he was talking about, because the track is not wide enough for Formula One cars, and them actually talking about it is just sheer stupidity. Well, it's not wide enough for their supercars, is it, Grant? Uh, In some places, no. In some places, yes. uh, I think the... uh the form, the format, and the circuit that they ran there was um, turned out uh, turned out a, you know a brilliant uh, spectacle. Just uh, yeah. you know, last year in December. Yeah, Sorry, uh, I, I took you off uh, subject there, uh, Craig. That's all right. I'd normally do that to everyone else. <laughs> Guys, all right. Where do we stand after this uh, Grand Prix race? Do do we think that Tanda now? is going to um, be able to claw back that gap. And Wing Cup, I'm assuming that uh, that engine failure was just one of those uh, one of those things that happen to people who are good. The bad luck happens to them when they least... It's at least, yeah. yeah when, when it least yeah. affects them. Uh, for two years in a row when uh, Jamie had his uh, failures for the weekend after he'd won the championship for both Oren Bark and Homebush. Mm. Yeah. Of, of course, we talk about the year before that when he yeah. rode off the car at Hamilton, and that yeah. very much worked, but, cost him a championship. But no, but Jamie said that year, at the end of that year, he did say if we had not had that, that crash, the uh, qualifying crash in um, Hamilton, that he didn't think they would have won the championship because that made the team steal themselves and resolve to claw their way back into it. But um, just talking about Tanda, I think one of the most significant things from this weekend just gone was the fact that uh, Will Davison was up to speed. Very cruelly, of course, his best race place since Phillip Island last year. His best race place for the year was in uh, race three when he climbed up to third place. Now, he showed that he has recovered from what had been... I mean, he had an even worse start to the year than Tanner did because his continued in Adelaide. Um, but he showed that um, the team as such... Is, uh, is back there, and I think that that's a very significant thing for, for HRT. And, you know, the fact that Fabian in these last two uh, meetings has shown that uh, he wasn't as 
anywhere near the uh, speed that he had in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. So I think that those four cars with Andrew who are gradually getting closer into the 20, that I think that they'll make a significant impact. The engine problem on Wincup's car was only a spark plug, the same one that Craig had, I think, on the Friday. Okay, so, uh, well, AGP in a nutshell, uh, Craig Lowndes getting on the podium and uh, he didn't get on the podium for the rest of the race or for the, any of the three races, but uh, we, just like Shane Van Gisberg and Grant, consistency is what rewards people, not just outright speed. I guess so, in, certainly in those, um, in those three, race, uh, three race scenarios, definitely uh, consistency can, can get you that sort of result. Uh, Craig had a Craig had a reasonable weekend, and you know probably exactly where we expect him to be uh, this year. Um, he had a good run at um, he had a good run at Abu Dhabi, but um, you know hasn't really at, at, at any stage really looked like uh, winning a, winning a race yet. Um, so uh, I think uh, I think that that's probably about a, about where he uh, where he should be. Uh, you know, third overall is a is a pretty good result. Tony, your thoughts on Craig Lowndes? Um, well, look, I mean, compared to most people, he um, he uh, doesn't have a qualifying problem, but compared to his teammate, of course, he does. He, he's not putting together the shootout laps as he used to. He um, And that's, that's the problem he's having, I think, is just the qualifying one. I'm sure that... Um, that uh, he'll continue to place regularly in the top ten, if not the top five. Um, you know, Jamie's on top of his game. Garth's the next one in the line, and, and he'll um, he'll get closer to it. But the other good thing is that you know Shane's certainly climbing. Winterbottom will be back there again. I don't know why they were ch- trying so many different things. It seemed extraordinary when uh, Dumbrell had obviously what would be the right package and was able to do the job. Mm. All right, now we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. We'll be back to talk cars of the future right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Grant Rowley from Speed Cafe and from Race Facts, it's Tony Whitlock. Guys, the Car of the Future launched at Crown Casino on Monday, and I have to admit... I was surprised Tony's normally a man of his word. He said there will be a new manufacturer on display on Monday. I haven't seen it yet, Grant. Uh, I, to be honest, I'd never actually heard Tony uh, Tony actually say that. Maybe they're close. There was a car under there under wraps with a big question mark on it, and to be honest, when we walked in there, I, I thought they were going to uh, take the wraps off it, but on closer inspection, the car was... Uh, was a lot smaller than the uh, sitting next to the the show cars of um, of uh, Mark Winterbottom and, and Garth Sanders' car there. So um, maybe it was a, a Holden Barina or, or a, a Toyota Echo or something. I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, look, maybe maybe in the future they used uh, 
they used um, Nissan and Hyundai in their in their graphics to uh, represent what could possibly be in the future. And um, you know, may, maybe does that maybe does that points towards uh, who's in line. I, I think one of the significant things that um, people need to be reminded about is that Cochrane Co aren't looking for manufacturers to be coming in to support their series. They're looking for manufacturers to come in to promote their own brands and to add further to existing you know, red and blue fight. Cochrane Co have always said they do not want manufacturers owning this series and that Ford and Holden are there and that the mix they have of dollars they provide to the teams they are is what they want. They don't want, uh, you know, six cars out there sponsored by a car maker. They want a car maker to be part of the mix of any one team. It's all part of that having control. And uh, I think that there's been some misinformation by some publications and, and uh, you know, misunderstanding by, uh, by people that, you know, they're looking for manufacturers to come in and support the series. They're looking for new makes to be in there, but not for them to be the major supporters of the teams. Well, certainly uh, Mark Scaife went through chapter and verse the history of touring car racing in this country, and he did dilate upon the uh, history of many other manufacturers in Australia's motor racing heritage, Tony. Yeah. Well, look, it gets back to, you know, for instance, Formula One. I mean, um, the fact that Toyota and, and Honda and uh, BMW have all walked away from the sport because they weren't getting the returns and the car market clearly was in a downturn. You know, I mean, if Coco wanted somebody else in this in this paddock, it would be Cornflakes and Lux. That's who he wants his brands in there. He doesn't want to have Hyundai particularly or, or Kia. He wants to have some household brands in there. That's when real success will be made in this category. Mm. All right. Now, getting down to some tin tacks, the engine hasn't been finalised, or the engine parodies haven't been finalised yet, but they are going to start with the current pushrod engine, Tony, as their uh, baseline, and then everything else will be matched in a, uh, in a, a formula to work out the, how they can all perform to those two I, I engines. I think what they've put forward is an extremely good package in, in that there is an attraction for makers such as Toyota to come in with a, uh, a Lexus V8 or even a Lexus car and, uh, and others to go and use a, a shelf engine that can be rebranded as their own. Um, but the other option was there that either Ford, and particularly Ford, I think, or Holden with Chevrolet can bring in, you know, quad cam engines multi-valve engines, the fact that they don't have to stick just with the push rod, um, but that down the road that they will uh, have an engine equalisation program so that the V8 as it stays won't necessarily be just the push rod that we currently have. They're extremely um, expensive engines to, to build. Um, they, uh, they don't last well, whereas if they go with a uh, quad cam engine, that they'll get more life out of them, they'll do it cheaper, and they'll have more relevance to their own street cars, road cars. And I think that's the point. They're, they're not saying that all these rules, Grant, are just for getting new people in. They're saying that Ford and Holden can come to them and come to them through their teams and make changes to the way the cars are prepared now. Yeah, look, that's, uh, that's exactly right. Mark Scaife was, was quite good at, uh, 
explaining that during his uh, during his uh, hour long presentation that he had uh, that he made. Um, and and might I say a, a very impressive presentation as well. I tell you, he could have been uh, he could have been selling me some uh, not so nice things on toast, and uh, I probably would have bought two of them because uh, he was very very convincing with the way he went about his uh, his whole thing. But um, look, as, as he said, um, you know, if there is uh, no more manufacturers which which join the series in 2012, or there's no manufacturers by 2017, he. Uh, he says that these uh, new rules that we're going to the V8 are going to play by um, post 2012 is going to improve the whole show. Mm. Now, interestingly, Murray Walker a couple of weeks ago, guys on the show said that there's nothing wrong with V8 supercars except for the fact that if one of those two makes pull out, then the series is in real strife. And when it's what 24 to one now in uh, Holden's to Ford, I am exaggerating for effect uh it is you do get into that risk where the it becomes a one-make series tony well you know i know i it's funny you mention that very thing because i've never actually considered a two-make series never have and it's quite probably because i know that the badges are bolted on the front and, and you know you had triple eight deciding not to put a full one on for some considerable time but i've always considered that there are you know, six, eight, ten different makers out there. And they are Stone Brothers and HRT and Triple Eight. That's the chassis maker, not Holden and Ford, because they bolt panels on, and the only major difference between the two of them outside an engine block and the aero kit is the chassis that they make. And it's how good you are at making those chassis that counts. And uh, so it's never been, to me, a two-make series, not once. Well, not this in 17 years has ever been a two-make series. This was the interesting thing because, uh, Grant, um, they're talking about a kit car formula. Now, Tony was always quite adamant that he said, we're not going to have a silhouette formula, we're not going to have a silhouette formula. But one of the key components of a silhouette formula is that the chassis is basically a kit car. And now they're talking about flat-packing a chassis. Uh, yeah. I I look, as, as Tony says, though, they, you know, they, they do get their uh, basis, which they have to work around, and uh, it's going to be more controlled than uh, than we've ever seen before. Um, but look, I don't know. For me, it's it's um, it's all part of uh, making sure the guy at the front and the guy at the back have the same have the same uh, absolute same chance, and uh, the team who picks its best drivers and builds the best matchbox in, in the rules that are there, uh, win, wins the race. So, um, but, no. You know, at the, at the same time, I mean, I was never surprised that Triple Eight came out this year and were fast because they've basically got the same structure as they had last year. They chose very well in going with the Morris engine. That was clearly a better package than anyone else was putting out there outside Kelly's maybe. And it was better than HRT or, or Walkinshaw's had on the back. So, so Triple Eight chose well in getting an engine that they could actually stick in their chassis with the better drive that Triple Eight had last year with FG. Realise that, for instance, the, the ride car that Triple Eight used is an FG chassis with a Commodore engine and Commodore panels on it. Project Blueprint works and it makes our formula so successful because that there is a parity thing where both cars, they start at the same. Kit car, and what it means is instead of spending so much money to make a chassis and a roll cage, 
that, you know, is the same as the guys, similar or similar to the guys in the garage next door, is making that there are more components there that are the same. You don't have to buy a shell from a manufacturer. You're going to buy from VH you don't Supercars. Buy from you haven't bought a shell for the last five years from a manufacturer. Well, you've had to buy the floor plan and the rest of it. Well, you've had to buy two or three bits. You know, there are now there are now chassis makers who are, who are interested in coming back to the series because there will be people who are manufacturing chassis to supply to race teams again, which has disappeared over the last few years from where you had Dentar and BHAG both making shells and chassis and selling them to people. They've all disappeared virtually. And Walkinshaw and Triple Eight are the only ones who are really making customer cars. will come back. That there'll be people who are making them and they'll be making them cheaper and you know, it'll be economical for people to buy them. Well, that's the thing. And I think one of the critical points is that Tony said, at the moment, we need our teams to uh, have affordable spare cars in the garage because if we want to race every fortnight like everyone says we have to, the teams have to have a backup car. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why it's important to come out of the Grand Prix, not necessarily not spending money to, on parts, not spending the time, because you haven't got any, to get ready to stick a plane, car on a plane. That's the thing that's the killer um, in terms of uh, running through the year. It's not just the budget that eats up, it's you don't have the cars. And yes, and of course every team will be able to have it. And that by the time that this program is instigated with the car of the future, that every team will have their spare cars, as a number of them do, like... Triple Eight and DJs already do have an NHRC spare cars. Mm. If one gets damaged, if two gets damaged, they're in major trouble. But, you know, they can turn them around. The thing is, of course, that it will be a full, far more full year by the time 2012, 2013 comes along with at least one, if not two more flyaways. That's right, Grant. It is becoming critical mass that the teams can have a spare car for each driver and possibly have them in the trailer so when Andrew Thompson knocks down the wall in turn eight, he still participates in the race. No, they won't change that. You don't think they will? No, that won't change. That won't change. We have 29 cars in the series. If you get damaged beforehand, you know, you won't be bringing out another car. Our rules are quite simple in that, and that's the CAMS FIA rules that you start a weekend with one car and that's what you stay with. And if it doesn't race, then, you know, that's it. You can't race it. All right, I Grant, be, I guess uh, you're not going to get yeah. to answer that question. <laughs> no, that's fine. I think that they're, uh, you know, you probably could switch cars, uh, but it'd have to be extremely... Uh, I, I, I don't think you'll get to switch cars during a meeting. You won't, you know, once the meeting is started and you're in that car, that's it. They'll take your chassis number like they do in, like, GTs, take your chassis number down and you race that chassis number for that weekend. Yeah. They're the rules we've always played by, so... Look, as Thomas says, I don't know if that could, could ever change. Uh, yeah, not until we do have uh, NASCAR type cars. But look, we're uh, we're, we're pretty. We've been, they've been pretty clear that they don't want. The, I mean, uh, one of the things cars you remember, Craig, about our series. I mean, we have outside NASCAR the most competitive touring car racing in the world. It is competitive, and that while Jamie Wincup has won a lot of races, it only takes the DNF for a weekend to turn it round. So that they're not wanting to mix things up dramatically and change it all because they know full well that things do happen. Yeah, and I guess that's the, that's the big thing. This is just here to try and help with something that no one's been able to achieve in the last five years, and that is the uh, whole cost containment strategy. It's 
not a cost containment. It's a cost reduction program. Containment won't work. Yep. It's got to be reduced. All right. Point and, taken. And the engine program is the biggest part of this whole program. Of course, and they're hoping that by having more choices of engines and uh, more, hopefully, cheaper engines to buy that it means the team's prices come down as well. Guys, we need to take a break. Gas and Go is up on the other side. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Tony Whitlock certainly getting excited about the new technical specs for the car of the future, along with Speed Cafe's Grant Rowley. Gas and go, guys, on this week's white flag lap. And, uh, of course, when you hear the rattle gun, that means we have to change topics starting from now. The evolution of the car of the future, is that what we really needed in the new car or do we need some revolution, Tony? Oh, no, evolution is the right way. I mean, we've had 17 years, 18 years, what is it? I think 18 years of the category as it is, um, with very few changes. Um, it's evolved and it'll keep on evolving. Um, yeah, I think it's the right way to go. But the reason why is because of the very reason that they're doing it. They're trying to keep the teams financially viable. Grant? To be honest, I like the cars that we had, but I'm not really the one forking out the dough to, um, to put them on the track. So uh, I'll leave that to, uh, to the guys who know best. Is the business going to get better by running a kit car or is the business just going to find it even harder, Grant? Uh, look, it, it could be. I guess we'll have to wait for uh, you know the uh, the actual races to get uh, run and won and, uh, and and see what the team's reactions are to it all. Um, look, if it's if it's cheaper and it still provides us good racing, maybe even better racing. Uh, I don't care if they race spaceships uh, as long as it's the best guys uh, peddling around and the best teams doing it. Then. I'm pretty happy. I'm a pretty easy to play. Tony, I'm going to give you some time there. I think one of the most important parts of what they talked about yesterday was DNA. And, uh, and I, I, my background, I've got 25 years in advertising and she's working on car accounts mostly. And that's what I'm conscious of. And that's what they're going to work hard to make sure that each car out there, each make of car out there, if there are more than just the two, has its own look and retains that look, and I think that's a very crucial part of it. One of the other things that probably we should talk about here is that when um, this series started back in 1993, Falcon and Commodore had, you know, between them probably over 45% of the market. That was a large car market. It was close to 50% of the market. Now, the large car market is just 10%. That's Falcon Commodore is 10% of the market. I mean, if someone said, oh, well, we should be racing for um, Toyota Echoes and uh, Ford uh, Focus and things like that. Well, I mean, this racing is spectacular because it looks good. The cars are brutal. Um, it, 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 it works very well because they're powerful, they're heavy, they're cumbersome. Um, it's one of the interesting things is that our series has over many other series in the world. Our television looks better because the cars fill the frames. 
You have a look at most other television, particularly saloon car racing, and the cars are shot in a distance. They look like slot cars. Our cars, the cameras get up close, they fill the frames with it, and they look bloody mean. Marcus Ambrose talking about this very subject and saying about how NASCAR, the cars look so easy to drive because they all just run around. And he's told me about how they're, they're terrifying to drive, they're getting into 800 horsepower with all that weight. But he says compared to driving in a, um, a V8 supercar, it's far harder, but not when you look at the television of it. And that's one of the things that's appealing about our series. The television is bloody terrific. When's the next Ultra Q franchise owner going to uh, enter a V8 supercar race? They're not. They're priced out of the market. They don't have enough turnover to justify it. What it needs now is supermarket shelf companies. That is the coal, the um, uh, wheat fixes and the um, fruit juices, most people coming into the series because that's the sort of money that's needed to put one of these cars on a track. Grant? Yeah, look, uh, the, the teams that we've got are bloody uh, very professional at the moment and uh, yeah, it's difficult enough for privateers, I suppose, to um, to get results, get TV time, get, uh, you know, get get up there at all. So, geez, uh, you know, I just say uh, it's a difficult one. Mm. All right, Grant, the cost of running a V8 supercar team has increased 100% in 15 years. A Big Mac's only gone up 75%. Which one would you prefer to own to make the profit? Uh, <laughs> my wife would say the Big Mac. I think they sell a, uh, a couple more of those. Um, although I would love to own a V8 supercar. Um, look, the thing that uh, McDonald's hasn't moved a hell of a lot in terms of um, what they're offering in a menu. Sure, there's healthier things on it now, but the Big Mac is essentially the same as it was 15 years ago. Um, yes, it'll make money year in, year out. Um, the growth of the business in V8 supercars is enormous in that 15 years, stupendous. And the, the difference between if you put a, a McDonald's store up against a V8 supercar team back in 1993 compared to now, that there is no shadow of doubt the V8 supercar team has come a hell of a lot further in that time period. Well, guys, uh, that's Gas and Go for another week. And thank you for joining us and we get set for what should be an interesting Hamilton ITM 400 in a few weeks' time. Tony, we appreciate your time. Pleasure, man. Absolute pleasure. And, of course, Grant, uh, we look forward to catching up with you very soon as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As the checker flag waves over this edition of the V8 Insiders, until next time around, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.